Welcome to Design for Joy, the radio ministry of Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California, celebrating the fact that God's people are designed for the joyful Christian life. We are glad that you could join us for today's broadcast with our pastor and teacher, Dr. Mark Mafucci. And now, let's go to the teaching for today. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 13. That's our passage today. John 13, the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Today we continue in our series called Outrageous Truths. These are things that are true of the Christian life that would seem backwards and upside down when you look from the perspective of the world, but are God's beautiful, outrageous truths. And here's the outrageous truth for today. You gain when you give yourself away. You gain when you give yourself away. John chapter 13, and this is the key concept this morning, people who go, grow. Now that's a slogan you see all around our campus. In fact, if you go out into our foyer, you see two big posters that say exactly that slogan, people who go, grow. But we believe that that slogan is absolutely true. And what we mean by that is this. As you are mobilized in service to others, that's what we mean by go. As you are mobilized in service to others, you grow in your faith and your walk with Jesus Christ. And today we're going to look at a, a moment of outrageous service provided by Jesus himself during the last week of his life. He models service for us. It strikes me that If you look at the last week of the life of Jesus Christ, in that final week, you see two stories about two different basins, two different water basins. The question for us us is, what will be the more accurate representation of our approach to life? Will it be the basin that Pilate used to wash his hands of his responsibility, or will it be the basin that Jesus used? to wash the feet of the disciples. See, one of those basins was used by Pilate. In Matthew chapter 27, we read these words. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but instead an uproar was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. Pilate saw Jesus as an innocent man. He saw that there were no charges against him that warranted his going to the cross. And his role was to do justice. But he did not want to bear the full responsibility of that role. He did not want to stick to his guns and do what was right. And for him, that basin represented surrender and evasion. But also during that week, we see Jesus taking up the basin of service. For him, it was not an escape of his responsibilities. It was a taking up of his responsibilities and an engagement in ministry. And here's the irony I see as you compare these two water basins and how they were used. Pilate thought that he had the power and the authority. He thought that he could do whatever he wanted because he was in a situation of authority. He thought he could even either make the decisions there or refuse to make the decision. And leave it up to others. But Jesus had the real authority. And he had the real power. 
And knowing he had the real power, he channeled it towards service. Read with me in John chapter 13, the first five verses, and, and you'll see what I mean there. Here's what it says. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus was fully aware that he was God. He was fully aware that he was returning to God after the experience of the crucifixion and the resurrection. He was fully aware that he had all power. So, in verse 4, he got up and washed his disciples' feet. Power and service go together. That is an outrageous truth. It is the opposite of what the world thinks. Servanthood seems often to be perceived as powerlessness, but not in the case of Jesus. Giving yourself away in service is not a loss of power. Christ models that for us. It is a realization and it is a use of power the way God wants it to be used. Can you picture that scene? Imagine it in your mind as, as the disciples come in for that Passover meal and, and they, they, they're having their Passover early because of, of the events of the, of the final week of Jesus' life and, and they realize that something has gone woefully wrong, but no one is willing to fix it. There, been, there has been no one at the door who's there to wipe the feet of those who are coming to eat the meal. Verse 2 tells us that the evening meal was already being served. In other words, the preliminaries were over. The meal was well underway. And this went on for a while. And Jesus was allowing them time to step up to the plate, allowing them opportunity to say, somebody, I'll step in and, and I'll do the servant's task. But no one did as they reclined on their pillows, as they stretched out on that low table, which was the uh, eating arrangement in that culture, what they were basically saying is, I'd rather eat with somebody else's dirty foot in my face than take the role of a servant and wash feet. And then Jesus gets up and he starts washing their feet. He gets on his hands and his knees and he goes from person to person, wiping them with the water from the basin and drying them with the cloth tied around his waist. And I imagine the room getting very quiet as that's happening. Go with me to verse 15, and we see Jesus' words. After he's done washing their feet, he says this, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. There's a challenge there. 
Now that you've seen my example, now that you know that service is what you're called to, go and serve. But there's also a promise there. You will be blessed if you do. Those who go, grow. You will be blessed. There is a promise that service brings blessing. And the promise is absolute. There is no equivocation. He's not saying, maybe if you serve, it might be that somebody someday will say thank you. Or maybe if you serve, you will come across somebody who will be so grateful for your service, maybe they'll remember you in their will. He's not saying that. He's saying, you will be blessed if you serve. He can say that because he has created us. He can say that 100% universal statement, you will be blessed because he has wired us. And he knows that inherent in the serving, there is something that brings blessing. Blessing will be found. And in what way will blessing be found if we serve? It's what I call the hidden grace of fulfillment. Fulfillment. That's the blessing. That's what God wants you to experience. Go and serve others, and you will experience that hidden grace. But fulfillment and fun are not the same thing. There are times when serving others will be taxing and, and tiresome, but there is that hidden grace there. The promise of Jesus is not something that has any exception. You will be blessed. But the real question for the followers of Jesus Christ is this. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that if we serve, we will be blessed? Do we trust Christ enough to act on that statement? The fact is, for most people, even those of us who say we're followers of Jesus Christ, we believe that the way to blessing is being served rather than serving. That's because we think so much like the world thinks. We've come to imagine even the walk of following Christ, the Christian life, like some sort of spiritual cruise that we're all on together. With a ready staff, ready to wait on us and meet our needs, to entertain us. We imagine that it's all about racking up a list of experiences in the Christian life, putting memories together and experiencing laughter and enjoyment with our friends. And we easily, much too easily, confuse fun with fulfillment. But fulfillment in a life of significance is what you are promised by Christ, not necessarily fun. When Jesus says you will be blessed, he doesn't mean you're going to have a great fun time. Yes, it will be fun sometimes. We do have experiences of enjoyment. But what he says to us really is, I'm offering you a life of fulfillment and significant significance. And that is what I call the joyful Christian life. And it is a hidden grace found in service. That hidden grace can come to us when we serve in obedience to God. That's the first thing. That's the first quality of the kind of service that brings this grace. It is servants, service in obedience to God. You know the name John Newton. He's the former slave ship captain turned preacher who was the author of the hymn Amazing Grace. 
In one of his sermons, he spoke about two angels given a, a task in heaven, simultaneously given jobs to do. One of them was giving the job of ruling a great nation, and the other one was given the job of sweeping dirty streets. And he said in that sermon, you know, it wouldn't matter to those angels which task was given to which one, because the reason for their joy is not in the task, but it's in obedience to God. Doing what we know that God wants us to do, in and of itself, no matter what it is, it is a recipe for joy. The hidden grace is found there. The opposite of that is what we might call self-righteous service. Service that is not out of a pure desire to obey God, but rather out of a desire to impress people. Service to make a splash. Service to be noticed, to be honored. Be careful of that. Because you will never find fulfillment there. The reason is you're never honored enough. You never get enough tension. You're never appreciated enough. You're never thanked enough if that's your motive. But when we serve out of simple devotion to God, on the prompting of God, being obedient, we find fulfillment. Secondly, we find fulfillment by serving as God has designed us, you, using what we call here a quail, your divine design. You are designed by God for a unique role in his ministry. And understanding and using your divine design is essential both to you as an individual follower of Jesus Christ and to us as the family of quail. Because it steers the ministry that God wants us to do together. The design of the ministry of the church springs from the composite of the designs of the people that God brings here. Every once in a while, somebody will say to me, Pastor, what's your, what's your vision for quail? And what they inevitably mean is, what do you have in mind, Pastor, by way of numbers, by way of program, by way of activities? What are we going to do? But my vision for quail is not derived that way. My vision for quail is that we are a body of people who have come to realize how God has designed us individually. And then we stand up and serve God side by side according to the way he calls us. And that will be the perfect program because it's God's program. It's not based on what you wish you could do. It's based on what God has designed you to do. Sometimes what we wish we could do is different from our true self. We need to find that true self. And I know that sometimes there's a discrepancy there. And you know how I know it? Because I watch American Idol. <laughs> Have you ever watched the early editions of American Idol? And people who come to the audition saying, and here's the words. They say, music is my life. Somehow, somewhere, it's wired into the human, human being that anybody who says music is my life can't sing. They stand up and they sing off key, you know, all kinds of terrible things are coming out of their voice, and, but they hear themselves singing music. Sometimes what we wish we can do is not how we're wired, but when you find out how you're wired, who the true self is, it's a beautiful thing. Our mission 
is to win and build passionate, lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. And it is the passionate, lifelong follower portion of that mission statement that we're connecting to when we talk about divine design. A passionate, lifelong follower of Jesus is one who is equipped for ministry, who is mobilized according to who they are in their true self. And your divine design is that which makes you you. It gives you a glimpse of God's purpose for you. This is the DNA of who we are here at Quail. And that's why we put on the seminar called the Divine Design Seminar that starts next week. It's a lot of fun, by the way, as you discover the way that God has wired you, as you gain a glimpse into your passion and your uniqueness, your personality, as you see the blessing of your experiences, both your good experiences and your bad experiences make up your design today. As you gain a glimpse into your spiritual gifts and your personal talents, all of this is, is part of that seminar which starts next week. And it's essential that we all have that understanding. I'm saying this because if you haven't gone through that seminar yet, you should run to attend. Don't walk, run. Because this is who we are. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says this, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. He's talking there about our spiritual giftedness, and, and it's part of that matrix of the divine design in you, but it's never going to be used for the common good unless we understand it and put it to work. But that's God's will for us. You feel the pleasure of God when you're serving according to your divine design. And pleasure in God is felt when you feel the pleasure of God. This is the joyful Christian life. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And as we do them, the hidden grace of fulfillment is found. But thirdly, the hidden grace of fulfillment is found when you make a difference. When you see your efforts, when you see your ministry, when you see your work making a difference in somebody else's life, making a difference in our town, in our church, in our society, we are here to be the representatives of Jesus. We are here to be a force for good and a force for the gospel. And as we serve side by side, we change lives. We bring justice to situations that need justice. And we want those things to happen right here in our city. And as things change right here in our city, in the mission field that God has brought us to, we have a legacy that outlives our life, an eternal legacy. Because fourthly, you experience the hidden grace of fulfillment as you point people to God. It's thrilling to know that as we say yes to serving the Lord and to whatever role that he calls us to, we point people to God. I read about a British university professor who was retiring from his position in the university where he taught. And the faculty there put on a dinner for him. It was a great event. It was a wonderful evening. They had all kinds of remembrances of the job that he did teaching in the, uh, in the university over the years. And then there came the moment when that it, when the evening was wrapping up and then the final kind of comments about his, his legacy as a teacher, and they uncovered a portrait 
that had been painted of this professor. It was a great honor. This portrait was to be hung in the wing of the university where he taught. And finally, he had some closing remarks. And in those closing remarks, he demonstrated his true character. He said this, I believe that one day people will look at this painting and they will ask, not who is that man, but they will ask, who painted that picture? That's a great insight. Because when you look at works of art, the glory goes to the creator. The glory goes to that one who, who put it together. And that's the same way when we serve. When we serve in whatever role it is that God calls us to, we point people to the creator. We point people to that which is eternal. We may not get the credit. We may not get the recognition. But it's not about fame or fun. It carries fulfillment. But more than that, that fulfillment comes as God gets the glory. And the promise is that God will remember and God will reward. There is a beautiful nugget of scripture that's found in Hebrews chapter 6. It says this, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him as you help his people and continue to help them. God is not unjust. He will not forget your service. Choose any day of your life. Pick a date, March 6th, January 9th, February 7th. Pick a date. And the chances are you cannot remember what you were doing that day, unless it was yesterday. And even yesterday, right now, is getting a little foggy. We don't, we don't remember. But God does. He remembers. He promises us that he remembers, he recalls that act of sacrifice. He recalls that faithful prayer. He remembers the lessons that you taught in Sunday school, the help you gave to the kids program, the counsel that you offered to a teenager at the crossroads. He remembers the time spent by our media crew adjusting the microphones and the lights before every service. He remembers the cleaning crew that comes in to make the worship center ready for worship and praise. He recalls the hours spent clearing up tables and the meetings for planning and the budget and the spreadsheets. He remembers the diapers that were changed in the nursery so the parents could be in here worshiping God. He recalls the rehearsals to the songs so that the songs will be sung on key and the worship would give him glory. He remembers the money that you gave and the people that you helped. We don't have to keep accounts. God keeps accounts. And he remembers so that he can reward. For he is not unjust. People who go, grow. We grow now in our devotion to Jesus Christ. We experience a sense of fulfillment. And one day, we will be rewarded on high. Bill Hybels has this quote. He says, I would never want to reach out with soft, uncalloused hands, hands that were never dirtied by serving, and shake the nail-pierced hands of the Savior. God does not call us to control things. That's his job. But he calls us to serve, and he makes a promise. When you do, you will be blessed. The question for us is, do we believe that promise? 
And are we saying yes to being mobilized into service? I hope you are. Would you stand with me for a closing prayer? And as we pray, I'll mention the fact that here in the front we have prayer counselors who would love to pray with you concerning maybe an opportunity to get into ministry and to, and to serve the Lord and say yes to service or maybe to come to know him or to enable him to meet a need. You come forward as others are leaving. leaving. They'll be here to pray for you. But first, let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love us enough to fulfill us as we serve you. Lord, there are all kinds of opportunities, but it begins in understanding who we are. So we pray right now for the Divine Design Seminar next week. We pray that many will sign up and that will, and they'll say yes to discovering the way that you've wired them. And then, Lord, as we're mobilized into ministry, we pray for men and women, boys and girls to come to know you as Savior. We pray for a, a, a wind of revival in the Spirit here in our city because we're simply saying yes to representing you well. Thank you for this outrageous truth that as we serve, we grow. Lord, we give you glory for that. Dismiss us with your blessing. Use us in this week ahead. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.